0: Welcome to Liberty Southwest Podcast Number 62. On this one, we have Matt Winner, Kirk Pettis, myself, Eric Taylor, and our guest for this one is Trevor Culseth.
1: How are you guys doing tonight? Pretty damn good. Excellent.
2: I'm doing How good. Trevor. Yes. Yes. Good to have you on. Good to. Uh... Good to be on, Kirk. Um, yeah, it's very good to be on. Actually, not sure which direction it's going to go, but I look forward to the conversation. I can tell you that.
1: It could go a multitude of ways. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, this is a, this is a another first for us. Not only it's been a long time since we've had a guest, but the first time we've had a coroner
2: yep and uh make like like yeah so uh yeah, I guess oh. a little bit about me. I've been a licensed funeral director for twenty years, I guess I've been in funeral service for twenty three years um I've served as the coroner of the county I live in for fifteen of the last years, so certainly have an interesting job at times. And I would imagine you guys might have some questions, but honored to be here and, and visit with views with you guys.
3: Excellent. Yeah. What What's your favorite part about being a coroner?
2: Or My favorite the funeral home? Well, you know, re- real we're realistically talking about two different jobs here. So as far as the funeral service goes, And that's my actual business is funeral home, um, funeral services. My favorite part is honestly, you know, just helping people through probably one of the most difficult times that they're faced with when, when tragedy strikes on your door or loss of cancer or just death in general. Um, you know, it's our darkest days as individual families. And as a young kid, I had an interest in helping people, um, I like to describe myself as a fixer. I'm always happiest when others around me are fixed or happy. And so it was sort of a a calling. I just, I love people and I wanted to help people. And I wanted to help people at their difficult times. So I just, I was in seventh grade and had a draw to it. Which is kind of weird. It really bothered my mom to have a seventh grader that came home and said he wanted to be a funeral director. but uh, I, I can imagine. You know, one thing I'll always remember about that, a couple of days after I told my mother what I wanted to do, um, I was in the kitchen with her and she just looked at me and she's like, do you really want to be a funeral director? And I said, you know, mom, I do. And she looked right at me and the best advice I think that my mother's given me as far as business sense or just being a good human being in general is she looked right at me like, I'm sure your mothers have done and. She stuck her hand out and poked me in the chest and she said, you promised me one thing. And I said, what's that? And she goes, you treat everybody like it's your mom or it's your dad because it is somebody's mom or dad or brother or sister or, you know, unfortunately child at times and just a great way for me to, to, to build my outlook on, on what my future profession would be. So that's really where the draw came.
3: Yeah, it's great. It just shows you know everyone has their passions
2: and you can go out there. Oh, well, absolutely! Make you know, and create value for people. It is obviously it is. Times. It's a very important job because it, it's it's really the second oldest profession in the world behind prostitution, and we can talk about that later if you guys want. <laughs> but it, you know, funeral service is something that's always been around, and um, yeah. I don't even know where I was really going with that. Kirk, what were you saying? I was going to tell you something I completely forgot.
3: Well, I just like to see people follow their passions, and you never know exactly what.
2: Right. And and yeah, and you reminded me what I was going to say. You know, when I was growing up, even like in college, if you were out and maybe you were to meet a girl or something, and they asked what you were going to college for or what you do. You know, it's weird because there is such a dark stigma around funeral service. You know, most people think funeral directors are weirdos. And uh, so it, it's kind of fun to try and break some of those barriers, too. But I would always tell my mom, she'd always say, how in the world can you do what you do every day? And again, that's my passion. That's what I love to do. My mom was an accountant who had an office where she would punch numbers all day. And I'm like, how could you do what you do all day? That would drive me crazy. You know, so you're absolutely right. We all have draws to, to interests. Um, I feel very fortunate that I've, I've, I, I'm fortunate that I get to do the one that I truly am passionate about, and that is the funeral service. Uh, the coroner side of it is a, um, it's an appointed position from our local county government. And, um, I fill that role, oh, I suppose 15 times a year, maybe. So by day, I'm mainly a funeral director, and then I'm the county coroner at need.
1: And what does that
2: entail? As far as the coroner goes? Correct. Uh, in the case of death, obviously, not everybody passes away in a hospital or a nursing home or even from an illness or natural causes. So anytime there's an unexplained death, or a death where there's an investigation, possibly somebody passes away unattended at their house. You know, their age depends a lot on it. So any death that has any sort of investigation on why this person passed away, that's when the coroner is called into action. And technically what I am is a deputy to the state medical examiner for the state of North Dakota. So if there's a a car accident, the is always called out to it because there's an investigation. If somebody passes away at their house and they weren't on hospice care or just died unexpectedly, the coroner's called in. Um, in the tragic event of possibly murder or suicide, um, in those events, again, the coroner's called in. And while you're there,
1: you're investigating along with right. the yeah, it, law it's, it's,
2: Yep. It's my job to determine whether the scene or the place and the individual themselves who passed away, whether it's natural or not. So I have to look for any signs such as foul play, you know, if, <clears throat> if it looked like there was a struggle in the house or possibly there was blood, you know. So... In those events, obviously, then we have to contact our boss, the state medical examiner, right away. And that's when the investigation would begin on a on a case like that. <clears throat> but even if it's, a, let's say if it was my grandmother who was an 80-year-old woman who passed away at her house, you know, and I go there and, and she may be in her bed. And so I would look through her medicines, you know, just to make sure that everything seems normal. And in a weird sense... It's an investigation, but a lot of it's also intuition. You know, you kind of can get a feel as soon as you walk into a place. And that may sound a little far out, but I truly believe that you do. And, you know, you just kind of follow the signs to see whether it was natural or not. And honestly, 90% of the time, everything is normal. But you have to prepare yourself for the one time where you might catch the sign and then, you know, request further investigation. So you are appointed; you're not elected, right? I am appointed by our uh, county commissioners, right and uh, we have a—I believe it's a five-five or eight—I can't be eight, but I think it's a five-person city commission board or county commission.
0: How did you uh, decide to pursue that position?
2: You know, for a lot of smaller towns, the town I live in, the population is only two thousand people. You know, I live in a state where we have more cows than people in general. So the way it works in our state is it comes down to population. So if the population of the community or the county you live in is over a certain amount, and I don't know for sure what that number is, I'd have to look at it. But if it's over a certain amount, then you have to be a licensed physician or doctor to be the coroner. But if it's under that certain amount, it's either usually one of the local physicians, or the funeral home. And the reason the funeral homes got tied into it is they were the ones that were always going to the scene anyhow. They had to go there because somebody passed away. So then in turn, years ago, a lot of the funeral directors were starting to be appointed as coroners of their counties because they had to go to the scene regardless. Hmm.
3: What happens when uh, an autopsy needs to be...
2: So... Anytime there's a death where there's uh, an autopsy that's requested by the state, it's my job as the coroner to transport the person from wherever the death occurred to our state capital, which is Bismarck. Uh, we have a state lab there. Um, the medical examiner's office is there. So I transport the person from the scene of death to the autopsy or to the facility, I guess, the labs. They do the autopsy there with the state medical examiner and his staff. That's when they investigate the cause of death, you know, and they do a full investigation where they fully look everything thoroughly. I mean, I don't know how detailed we want to get to this, but I mean, you know, down to each individual organ, they weigh them and and thoroughly look through them and, and really do a full investigation to come up with the best cause or the reason of death for that individual. From that point then, the person is released to the funeral home of the family's choice to where the funeral would be.
3: So, but that's is that that's not normal, though, right? That's just because of those small rural towns.
2: As far as there the corner
3: goes, yeah, are they elected? Most of them, then I thought that was. Um,
2: most of them are actually, as far as I know, in the state of North Dakota, are appointed by the commission. It's just standard. Yeah. Right. Now, in Minnesota, yeah, yeah. you know, every state has different regulations, you know, and I guess that's one thing that can be confusing. I I work in a corner of a state where, you know, we we carry licenses in three different states because all, all the rules and laws are different, even though we're providing the same service in the same places, you know, just across state lines, so... What you guys do in Minnesota may be differently as far as how the coroner is appointed. It may be an election thing there. I'm not sure. Yeah,
3: that was like when I met you I was when I heard you're a coroner, that was what I said right away. I'd always heard that the coroner is the only person that can challenge a sheriff. Or yep. to in fact <clears throat> fire them in a sense, but an elected well, official it, just because you're the first person to notice any corrupt activity or such.
2: Well, and it certainly could happen because in, in a direct line of, of chain, I guess, would go, let's say if there's a death in Bowman County where, where I live, the, the top of the chain is the medical examiner. Below that would be the coroner, which would be me in this case. And then below me would be any of the state or local law enforcement agencies. You know, I'm the one that really directly contacts and is in direct connection with the medical examiner. So with that being said, I probably couldn't fire the sheriff. That would be something that the county would have to do. But we certainly would be the one that would report anything that that we could see that was out of line.
3: Email fees and such.
2: Yep. Now, fortunately, I live in an area where I highly think, you know, the possibilities of that are, not you know, we're full of good people out here, I guess. I, I know every place has its own people, but for the most part, we're pretty down-to-earth, traditional people that do things by the law.
1: So what... What types of education or qualifications
2: do you need to do the work? Uh, as far as funeral service goes, there's a couple different routes you could go. Um, the route I took, I, I actually I was living in Minneapolis. I was going to go to the University of Minnesota because they offer a four-year bachelor program in it. So I got my residency in Minnesota, and then when it came time to apply for the funeral service part of the school, it was more expensive for me to go in state at the U in Minnesota than it was to go out of state in Oklahoma. So I attended school in the University of Central Oklahoma, um, and I've got a four-year degree. So I basically have a bachelor's in science that's emphasized in funeral service. You know, so the the difference really is I, I have more psychologies um, grief counseling courses classes understanding death and then the science side the anatomies and the chemistries and and those sides and the reason i went that route i guess more than anything is if i would burn out it is a job that the burnout rate is very high um it can be very stressful dealing with death every day and um so I took that route as a backup plan. If I ever burnt out, I have a bachelor's in science and I could really go teach high school science somewhere or, you know, at least have some direction to fall onto. Now, there are a, a number of trade schools that will teach you how to do the the embalming side of funeral service. So you can do that in a two year program, you know, and do an apprenticeship and, and become a licensed director, too. So you don't necessarily need the four year degree in certain states. Now, Minnesota is a state that they require the four-year degree. And I would believe the reason they do that is because they offer the four-year degree program at their state university. But North Dakota, South Dakota, um, even Wisconsin, Iowa, most of them, you can practice funeral service if you have the two-year degree. So every state's a little different on that as well. So you know, as far as the education goes, you could do the two-year degree and learn the trade side of it or you could do the four-year degree and fully get a bachelor's degree with the uh, the grief counseling classes and understanding death on top of the lab side. A, so it's pretty interesting. Inter- Every day is definitely interesting. Okay. I'll tell you that. So, yeah, sorry about
0: that. I, I was kind of curious about uh, when you... We're talking about how you got interested in the fields. So you're yeah. in seventh grade, and I'm sure you came across something, or um, there, there was an epiphany of some sort. Or what, what, what was that thing that
2: the moment of clarity? Uh, yeah. Um, you know, for me, it was very simple. Um, it was actually a class project that we had to do. It turned out being my my mentor and, and the guy I purchased my funeral home from. Um, so in seventh grade, we had to do these career reports. And we had to interview one of the local business owners and do like a five-minute little speech on it. And I was always a little different kid. I've always been one that's kind of gone against the grain. And um, I knew nobody would call the funeral director. Nobody had it in him to call the funeral director. I knew nobody would call him. So being a little different, I called the funeral director and asked him if I could come visit with him about his job. And after an hour of sitting down with him, when I walked out of his house that day, I knew what I was going to do. And so was basically
0: serendipity. Yeah. To a
2: certain extent. 100%. And, you know, the neat thing about it is this gentleman... I always had told me, even at a young age, he said, Trevor, if you ever want to come home. Now, he had three kids himself, so he'd always say, if my kids don't go into funeral service, if you want to come home, I'll bring you home. And, um, you know, as, as most kids who grow up in funeral service, a lot of them don't become funeral directors because of, you know, they see the lives their parents may live on call. You know, like, I live on call 24-7 every day of the year. So it might be you know, I might have to leave right during this podcast if something would happen or I may fall asleep and it's 40 below tonight and I may have to go to work. So a lot of kids don't go into it because they see their parent living that lifestyle. And, um, you know, I've been, I've can, I canceled two vacations last year because of work and being called out of Christmas, you know. So fortunately for me, his kids didn't go into it and, um, he rang true on his promise and brought me home and I worked with him for five years and then I, I bought him out, and he worked with me for four years until he passed away. So that was a day that really changed my life, and that was the one that gave me the focus to see what what in my heart I felt like I was placed here to do. Nice. No,
3: it's, it is. Uh, it, it's interesting, based. you know. It,
2: it's it's certainly not a job that that you just immediately think of but you know there's always a need for for funeral directors because we're all gonna die you know death is is a as much a part of life as is being born and um we don't like to think about it and we certainly have to struggle sometimes discussing it but you know we're eventually all gonna get there and um at a young age i was just drawn to it and trying to understand it and and figure out why people react the way they do when they go through losses and it's it's a never you never fully get a grip you know you're learning every day every day is different from the previous day because every family is different and even every situation on how the death occurred is different so it's really neat in that that's one of the things i enjoy too is it doesn't become groundhog's day where every day i wake up I honestly don't know what I'm going to be doing because at any minute I might be going three hours in one direction to pick up somebody who passed away or, you know, I might be doing nothing for, for six hours and then get called into work. So it's kind of neat. It keeps me on my toes, I guess, in some sense.
1: So is there any licensure requirement?
2: Yes. Um, again, every state's different now in the state of North Dakota, They offer a funeral director's license, which covers both the embalmer and the funeral director. So if you're licensed in North Dakota, you can do the embalmings legally and you can make funeral arrangements with a family and run a funeral. Now, some states like Oklahoma, where I was first licensed, you got two licenses. You'd get one just as an embalmer and one just as a funeral director. Because there were a lot of people who owned funeral homes who were licensed funeral directors, but they didn't have the education in the embalming side, so then they would hire embalmers. So every state's different. I like the way North Dakota does it. You know, they make sure that you do both parts. So, you know, Minnesota, Minnesota's a state where you have to be nationally licensed. I know they used to be, I guess I shouldn't say that as a definite 100%, but but Minnesota is a state where you have to be nationally licensed, and in North Dakota, you don't have to be nationally licensed. I know in South Dakota, you have to be nationally licensed. So it really falls onto the state deciding on what you know what our laws are. We um, we don't really ha- we're not overseen federally. Really, it's all through state laws, and, and the states themselves set what our laws are.
1: Is it
2: expensive to gain licensure? You know, it's it's fairly reasonable. It's one hundred and fifty dollars a license. So, you know, if you have funeral home that had ten funeral directors, that'd be one hundred and fifty per per license, and then certainly for your establishment as well. So, depends how you look at it. I say it's pretty affordable for only one hundred and fifty dollars a year, but they certainly charge us every year for it.
3: What do you think, uh, so I like to bring things all back to uh, the Liberty perspective. So I kind of, this might be a little leading, but what do you think of the regulations and licensures? Does that affect your job or like what you brought up earlier, it was all dealing with how every day is different, the personnel, personalities that you deal with and the situations that come across, um. Do you find that it it helps to have more of a base from the state or federal, or is it you know, more you and how you want to assess the situation?
2: Is as weird as it sounds. We're we're one of the businesses that, um, in an odd sense, we are state regulated. You know we we have to pay for our licensure. I do get. Um, once a year, you know they'll come through my establishment to make sure that I'm following all state laws. I fortunately have not been fined, but i I do know they fine you if you're delinquent in in following some of the requirements. but the one thing that we're fortunate with that a lot of businesses aren't is those that come to to investigate not necessarily investigate but to to come through my funeral home to make sure that I'm following through requirements. They're not licensed funeral directors. They're they're just people that work for the health department. So they're the same people that, as weird as this will sound, that do restaurants. You know the sanitary places like restaurants, and and the funeral homes are part of that. So when you when you let them walk through your facility, I guess in my experience, I haven't really felt any heat from them because the truth is, they're uncomfortable being there. And I know that sounds really weird, but. I personally, as far as being regulated by the state, you know, they, they do watch us and they do charge us, but I don't think it really changes my in and out daily duties of my job.
3: Well, as someone on the inside, do you feel that that helps to keep things honest, legit, for say you were to come into a new community? Or do you yeah, think I'm, that it's more of a given that comes with the job that that to be successful at what you do? I mean, I guess citizens really can't, or the community doesn't really seek you out. You're kind of always the person that a family right. will have to deal with, regardless.
2: In, in my community, yes, you know, I have some friendly competitors in neighboring towns, but you know, we don't have that ultimate. So those that that are going to pass away in our community are, are going to use us, but they seek you out too. You know, as far as, you know, I'm very fortunate that I, I do run my business in a small town for the same sense that I do still do things on a handshake with the trust, you know, where people will walk out the door without paying, you know, any, any trust in it that they will pay. And, um, You know, so as far as the state overseeing it, that's how I personally run my business. Now other business owners don't run theirs that way. And I think we as individual funeral homes should be able to pick and choose, you know, how we decide to run it. And our state will jump in, but like I say, they don't watch us really, you know, they watch us for safety reasons more than how we run our business. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Now do
3: you, I guess, I'm definitely not familiar with this, but in the larger towns, are there multiple coroners? Are there, you know, since I'm sure there's multiple funeral homes in greater metropolitan areas? It's
2: generally per county. So each county has a coroner. Now, in counties, let's say such as Hennepin County, they have multiple coroners, but there's one head coroner and then there's deputies to that coroner. And, and that, for that reason, you know, that way they can share the, the on-night call because in Minneapolis, I'm sure the coroner's called out probably every night. You know, where I'm fortunate, I go on a coroner's call 15 times a year. Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I I guess when I think about it as the anarchy side of me, it's like I'm not always for that someone that I have to deal with that the
2: state's regulated. Like say yes, a and, died and and I'm one. I'm with you. I'm, with you. I'm under, one who I don't like to no be told how I should run my business. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and and honestly, I, I you know whether it's state regulated or not, I run it the same way. And, and fortunately for me, I do fall within the state regulations, but I don't like being told what I can and can't do with my business. And you know, I guess that's my personal feeling on on the state jumping in on it. You know, One issue that I personally had with our state is, and like most things, it comes down to the dollar, but I used to be able to type up a death certificate if somebody passed away. I could take it to the physician at the hospital or nursing home, or in this case, if it was a coroner's signature, then I would sign on it. And I could take it up, and again, this is where local government would come in, but I would take it to our county courthouse, and I could get death certificates the same day as long as I was able to get the doctor's signature on it. Well, the state jumped in because the county was getting the money instead of the state. And, you know, because you have to purchase a death certificate, it's, it's not given to you. It has to be purchased through the state. So the county wanted the money or the state wanted the money instead of the county. So everything is now paperless and it has to go through our state government instead of the county government and then two years later, they jumped the price from. It used to cost twenty seven dollars for us to get twelve of them, and now it costs one hundred and twenty five dollars. So the state got involved, and then they jumped up the price. So that bothered me, and to me, that was the state over jumping. But
0: why did they, why did they do that
2: exactly? Um, why did they up the price, or why did they want to yeah, file everything so significantly? That? Say that one more time, Eric. Uh,
0: why did they up the price? It seems like a significant increase. Oh,
2: it's a huge jump. And, and I can't even tell you the reasoning for it. Now, I'm a business owner. And let's say if my average funeral was $7,000. Can you imagine if two years and then I turned around and said, oh, by the way, that is now $92,000. Right. You know, and that's kind of what the state did. They took, an amount that we felt was fair and jumped it up so they could profit, so the state could have the money.
0: With, with no explanation or?
2: No, I, we never got a letter. And we're the ones who order there, them and we're the ones who type them up. Are there
3: taxes? Like, so if, say my father passed away. Are there certain state taxes that you have to deal with or is it? Besides just the death tax of, say, estate taxes? Or, no,
2: they're, they're, uh, what, or they're a lot like, of funeral homes will do it differently. What I do is I pay the tax on all services. So, you know, when included. I'm sitting with a family, we come down to the bottom number as far as what the contract is, and then I don't go. And then there's 6% sales tax. I pay that in all of my taxes. Yeah,
3: it's just funny.
2: You There's just no escaping <laughs> <laughs> taxes. <laughs> in there and that's really. the unfortunate part it's always you know it, it's it's always going to be there i hate to say it i hope it's not but you know the so thing that bothers me most is is our state our state is doing well fiscally anyhow because we do have oil out here and you know i think there's other means of of making money for the state. You don't have to jump up a death certificate, you know, a thousand percent or whatever it figures out to be. I know it's minimal, but it adds up over years. So do you Bye. find
3: that without a state or regulations that, without, I mean, would it, would it really impede your business at all? Or you could, I don't think, I don't think it would impede fine, the good
2: ones it. at all. Yeah. Now the well, downside of that is how those good that ones are,
0: being an operative that, term. Now, what was that? now
3: you, I trust, I tr- I would trust you completely. But let's just say, say there's a bad corner. How would that affect the community? Or and how would you go about it? Like, you know, would it terrorize uh, families just at the wrong time, just exploiting them for money, or, you know, or do you think a competition would solve that? Or just um, people running these a holes out of town.
2: <laughs> you know, the one thing that I see sometimes is kind of on a different side of it, but sometimes the coroners in large communities start to pick their favorite funeral homes. Mm-hmm. So they'll start to push business that way, you know. And and I'm not blaming the single funeral home for for padding the pocket of a coroner, but. You know, when you live in a, in a community where there are a large number of people, you know, there, there are certain times where, you know, I know in one instance where um, the coroner works with the uh, police department and that police department has somebody affiliated with one of the funeral homes and they get every coroner's call. And, you know, it shouldn't be that way. It should be spread through the funeral homes or it should be the family's choice, number one. But the same funeral home gets called every time, you know, and that's, that's injustice to the other funeral homes in that area. It's like a competition. Yeah. I hate to say, but it's kind of like, yeah, the, it, kinda like the payola scandal, you know, you scratch buyback and we're going to put in a good word for you. And yeah, I'm, not, I'm not accusing I, I, anybody I of doing it, be, but, but I think it happens.
3: Yeah, that's going to happen
2: without the state or with the state. And unfortunately, right. it can happen easier with the state. I, I do Did think you? the one, the one downside real quick though to not being regulated hard by this state, you know, if, if I wasn't regulated, I would absolutely run my business the same way I run it as if I was regulated. However, there are that bottom percent who probably already, already don't run their business into the regulations, you know, and they're just waiting until they get fined. You know, those people will probably get worse. So, you know, in some sense, I think your best your best funeral home businesses will stay the top quality, but I can see some of the lower ones going even lower and trying to, you know.
3: Cut corners.
2: Right, and and the way they cut corners is not putting money back into their facility or their cars are outdated, you know, where, you know, some of these things that that really does affect the The outcome of the funeral a little bit. So I, I think your better ones would stay the top notch, but I do think some of the lower ones who are already cutting corners and hoping they don't get caught I think they would flat out drop everything and just in some sense do it as they should but one interesting thing I want to bring up real quickly is the state of Colorado you don't have to be a licensed funeral director it's the only state in the union or in the nation that you don't have to be a licensed funeral director to practice it in and I find it very interesting so if I could find you guys a guest that's a funeral director in that state they would probably be a wonderful guest for you guys to visit with.
1: I think you're doing pretty good.
2: Okay. You know, the one thing, and I, I, I'm not sure how long we're going to talk about it, but the one thing that I would like to touch at the end is when you talk about the liberty, my biggest stance or the one thing that I feel with it, with with my job or with the death profession, is the end-of-life decision. And we can discuss that later if you want, but I just... I don't think the government should be involved in that.
1: I think we should definitely talk about that. But I've got another question that I've been itching. Yeah. Uh, so, as a coroner, you're expected to also testify. How does that work?
2: Um. Yeah. So, if you, I guess, and and I'll just speak from experience, but I I had I was called to a, a murder scene. And of course, we involved the state medical examiner right away. It did turn into a court case. So I was I had to go to court. I subpoenaed to court for the state's defense or not the state's defense, but for the state prosecuting. And um, so I received my paperwork through the mail and um, ended up going up to court for four days, I believe. And ended up testifying for a matter of 15 minutes, maybe, and had to answer questions to the defense. And, and that was my time to testify. But I will tell you that in small communities, it's tough when you are testifying because you know 90% of the people in the courtroom. And and that is actually something that I still struggle with a little bit for my own personal demons as far as darkness is you know, these are still people that I see daily. And and when I mean that I mean both victims involved. I mean the person that was had his life taken and the people that took the life. I know everybody involved and everybody's families involved and you know, so it was certainly tough, but that was the process as far as the coroner being called on. I was I had to go testify for the uh, for the state and you can ask yes, questions definitely. you know I, I certainly if there's things I can't answer I won't but if you have questions about it I certainly would answer
3: it's one of those jobs you
2: don't think about until you have to have it I'll tell you, you what and you're absolutely right Kirk if I would have if you would have asked me 12 years ago do you ever think you'll be sitting in front of a microphone in a full courthouse testifying in a murder case I would have said absolutely not and, you know, it's it certainly it was very surreal for me. You know, I guess it's the only way to explain it. It's not something that I do that often. I've only had to do it the one time and it was very surreal. And like I say, I think a lot of that is because as the funeral home side of it, I was connected to both families. I had served both families, you know, with other relatives, whether it be grandparents that had passed away or, or whoever it may be. So I had served them with my business and now I'm sitting in front of the microphone. And the only fortunate thing, again, the second best advice that my mother told me, you know, I, I told her I was a little nervous. I was a little torn because I am the tug of war rope between these families. And she just said, Trevor, the one thing that you benefit from is all you have to do is tell the truth because you're expected to tell the truth and nobody can fault you for that. And and she was absolutely right. So I went in there and, and answered the questions I was asked. I would not like to do it again, I can tell you that.
0: That's a tough situation.
2: You know, it is. It's just, it, it's tough. And as a parent, you know, any time there's a, a death of a young person, that, that really draws you close too because... Being a dad myself, you know, you you understand it. I I tell you what, I had a car wreck a year ago, um, and I was called to the scene as the coroner. And I will honestly tell you that it changed my life. It was the one time in my life where I felt the heavy come in. And, um, you know, it is. it, It can be dark and it can be heavy, so you have to find outlets uh, whether I personally like to golf, I like to play guitar, and I like to chase my kids around and, and watch their sporting events. No, so you have to find things to keep the level mind because you see things that that could damage you permanently. You know, you see car accidents of people you know, and I tell you what, it's not very easy to go to a car wreck when it's one of your friends' kid. So it it, it can be very very dark days, I guess. But the gratitude that comes with it too is, is irreplaceable. I mean, I, I truly bond with each and every family that I sit down with. And, and fortunately for me, by the time everything is over with, they treat me as if I'm part of their family. And you know, to me, that's the best gift that I could receive. That's what makes me happy. And that's what gives me the reason to do what, what I do and to continue to do what I do until I retire someday.
0: Yeah, like we were talking about, you truly are, in some sense, uh, the, kind of the
2: gatekeeper to the yeah. afterlife,
0: you know, uh, you know, kind of intermediary.
2: Yeah, you know, and Eric, I can even bring that up, you know, when we're talking about that. You know, the funeral director, and, and, and I'll just say it in, into the Native American terms that I was told, and I was telling Eric that, One of my good friends was this Ephraim Hill. He was a uh, shaman of one of the Sioux tribes in Fort Totten, North Dakota. And he was an elder of the tribe. He was in his early 90s. And and we would speak often. He would come to my house once a month, he and his wife, and eat with my family. And and he kept wanting me to go to the sweat lodge with him. And, of course, I was born and raised in a little town in southwestern North Dakota. And I wasn't really sure about it. And certainly I researched it because, you know, it was something that he had brought up. A number of times and and then one day we talked about it and, and he just told me he said trevor you're the bridge you are the ferryman or the carrier or quran to the river Styx to elysium he said you are the one that takes our loved ones or bridges them to the afterlife and he said unfortunately with that is you will always carry a part of them with you for being that bridge and that's why he wanted me to go to the sweat lodge with him so i could purify Or cleanse my body again to get that off and and i really wished i would have you know i i I look back now and this gentleman himself has passed on um but some of their traditions some of the best and 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 just so neat but yeah you know just to talk about that eric but it it was it's certainly a neat thing that i wished i would have possibly wished i would have done it i guess
0: well, oh, it's, it's never too it's never too late to take some, right. you know take up an offer like that because I have to and I think you and I have talked about this a little bit. I mean, you take on I think in every instance you take on psychic energy.
2: Absolutely, know,
0: from, I mean, even being exposed to these people and, and, and it's a it's a it's a big transition probably the the biggest transition i mean there's two significant transitions in life when the soul takes on the body when the soul leaves the body yep right And, and 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 you're you're part of that process and i have to imagine that some uh other funeral directors or you know or or corollaries probably have some practices or therapeutic practices uh and and you and you have your own um, uh, mechanisms and strategies that you've utilized over the years but uh it's a it's a i I can't only imagine it's a significant the 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 significance and the and the and the pain and joy that you uh, absorb on a you know a, it's like a, a roller. Basis, it, it is. It? It's
2: a roller coaster, and and when you talk about the energy, Eric, you're so spot on because when you guys first started out and think, you know, what what draws a seventh grader to this? My explanation to it is, just like you said, the energy of it. I am somebody who loves deeply. I am somebody who, generally, for the most part, is good at reading people when I meet them. And and it's an intuition that that for the most part is rung True, and even certain things in my personal life that I've told you about, or have even showed you. And and I think you're absolutely right with the heaviness or the fog. You know, I also carry some of the energy with the death side too. And you're absolutely right for me. Therapeutic, as I, I I do sit at my house and and play my acoustic guitar. It's one of the only times I don't think about anything other than where my hand needs to be for the next chord or what strings I'm trying to hit you know so you do have to find your get outs or your outlets um to me the best thing as a parent is when I personally have a tough day um I I try to make my kids smile I know that always makes me feel worthy it also makes me feel that I have a purpose you know we all deal with stuff and, and I am one who personally does deal with depression and and even anxiety, and a lot of it is because of the job. Um, the the anxiety comes in because it can never be perfect. I can always, I always, you know, even coming down to putting makeup on a person, I might put a lady's lipstick on 50 times, trying to get it perfect. And that's where the anxiety comes in. And I finally just have to tell myself that it's never going to be perfect. This is the best it'll be. and you know, so the anxiety can drive you crazy at times. And then certainly you, you carry the weight of the depression. And, um, so I would strongly recommend if anybody is curious about funeral service, Mm -hmm. number one, research it. I, I absolutely love what I do, but in the same sense, you know, you, you have to prepare yourself for the tough because it's not a, it's not a nine to five where you go home and, and you just leave work until you come back the next day. It is, it is certainly something that not only is with you at work and when you get home, but it's with you everywhere. You know, one thing for me living in a small community is even when I take my family out to eat, I will drive to the neighboring community just because we can eat in peace without people coming and wanting to talk about funerals or, you know, because you do, you become part of their families and. And, and and it all means well, but I also want to have privacy with my kids. If my kids are eating breakfast, I don't want somebody talking about the car wreck we just went to the day before. And that's what happens. You know, you become so part of their life in a small community. It's like they're watching a show. It's kind of weird. But I will tell you this. If I could do it all over again, I'd do it in a heartbeat. I absolutely well, love know, everything about everything. it from the... From the from the mysterious side, of you know, the macabre, the dark, um, even in this will sound weird, but even in a small town, you know, I've I've gone through some personal things here recently and have lost some weight and stuff. And you become their own. And the old ladies in town, you would have thought somebody in my own family passed away. They were baking hams and bringing bars. You guys should come back out and visit again. I got more food in my house <laughs> of, of people trying to fatten me up. So, but, <laughs> it sounds, but it all Sounds like a good that, idea, you know, it, I could put some weight on. <laughs> it, uh, it, it certainly has those rewards too. But it is, it's such an interesting job. You know, everything about it is interesting. And the reason it's interesting is there's so much about it that's unknown. And I'm glad that you guys asked me to come on and you really can ask anything you want because the only way to Make the public aware of what we are, or that we are normal people, is to answer any questions they have. You know, the only way to to find out that there are some cool funeral directors in the world is is to ask those questions and to search out and find them. You know, and and through our friends, obviously, we've all met each other, and you know, it. We're not all weirdos, so just a couple of us, I guess.
0: Some
2: <laughs> of us. Uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. Yeah. Just the, uh, <laughs>
0: So, so segueing into the kind of the um, final piece of the, and kind of what we'll talk about last year is is uh, right to life, and okay. you know those situations that are are nebulous or gray, and I have to imagine that's probably and I think you alluded, uh, alluded to it earlier. That's one of the most difficult and somewhat regulated areas to, to, you know, to make the proper decisions for everyone involved, right? Correct.
2: Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's probably the one where the government does jump in most. And, um, you know, my personal feeling on it is that my body is my body. And I should not be told to what I can and can't do with my body that should be my choice it is one of the most precious decisions and I know it sounds weird to say precious but it's a decision that only I should make as an individual and certainly you know with discussion of family um, certainly there's circumstances that I think you know that could come into effect and I don't want to say overregulated, but you know let's say if it's a terminally ill cancer I cannot tell you how many times I have sat down with families Who have just wanted their loved one to pass away and their loved one wants to pass away because they are in pain and you know, they are weak and they just, they're ready and you know, they're, they've lived a good life and they may go on for a month just wasting away. And I mean, it's so heartbreaking for these families. And you know, if a family is all comfortable with the decision of somebody wanting to end their pain, and their daily struggles on this earth, I think it should be their choice. I really do. And that's my personal view on it. And you guys certainly can tell me your thoughts on it, but that's, that's where I stand on it. I, I feel that it's my life and my body. Why can you tell no, me I, what I can and can't do with it?
3: I definitely agree with that. It's with, and with hearing what your profession, you deal with a lot of just suddenness. Yep, uh, it's never the right time. It's
2: generally always unexpected. And even though it's not prepared even, for, e- generally. And, and Kirk, yeah, Kirk, you're right because even those that have terminal cancer, even though they know their loved one is going to die, it's not even an option whether they're going to get better. They're going to die. It's still a shock, even when you're preparing yourself for it. And you can take away some of that shock or that pain if it was a family's decision. And, you know, you you also by then, as weird as this may sound, but a lot of families, and mine included, would probably be like, you know, dad's not well. Dad wants to do this. We can plan it as a family, and we can all be there to do our goodbyes without that being taken from us, too. We know when the end of life will happen if they would allow it to be legal we know when that controlled situation will take place so we we can plan to come and say our goodbyes and get our grandkids to grandpa or grandma you know where certainly we do that when somebody's dying of cancer but you might sit in a in a hotel room for a month paying hotel rent every night because your loved one you know wants to pass away and their body physically won't let go yet But the 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 biggest part of it for me, and, and it's not the expenses of things like that, to me the biggest thing for me is, you know, why should you be able to tell me that I can and can't do this?
3: Well, let me challenge you on it now. Okay. I agree with everything you said, but we talked about good situations, I mean, as best as it could be for, you know, a terminal illness and such. Yeah. But let's say there's no regulations, free for all, there's funeral homes, coroners, and then now people have the right to take their lives and so let's say there's a business in it of assisted suicide. You know, I I could find there'd be benefits to where you would, if someone came to us, say you did that, provide a service, assisted suicide, where someone came to you, I feel like your first just knowing you your first goal would be to talk them out of it or to provide other help
2: or to find but, out number one their reasoning for it yes you know to me would be most importantly what is your reasoning for wanting to to end your life
3: yes and then and not only that but it, it brings other people in you know when suicide is a really is kind of a pandemic, it's, Absolutely, you know it's it's been the unsaid. You no, know, it's 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 amazing how often it occurs, and that's just is not talked about. Like,
2: and and the rate is let's say they're jumping. They're I mean, it's it's jumping drastically. I mean, suicide among even just middle-aged men is off the charts anymore. You no, know,
3: well, and, and let's say it's legal. I always say every problem. Is a business you know that can solve you know remediate these things and provide benefit for society. Since this is happening, if it wasn't illegal, people would go to have help to do it instead of doing it themselves. Most likely, and yes, people would help. I I,
2: I I do think there would have the to be a
3: absolute thing.
2: Yeah, I don't think it could be a free for all. Um. You know, I, it, it, it's a gray area there as far as how you'd regulate it, because what we're trying to do is limit regulations on what they're doing, but yet regulate it. But to me personally, I think it really comes down to situational death. If, if death is ineminent and you are in pain, you know, I'm 100%. But if I'm a 17 year old kid whose girlfriend just dumped me, you know, in that case, I'm not in favor for assisted suicide. You know, that's okay. where you reach out to get the kid help. But.
3: Yeah. And so my point is, is, it's hard to regulate that in a sense other than.
2: The, the one way would be the terminal illness. You know, you'd just have to clarify it as if you are terminally ill, then it's okay.
0: And there's so many I think of those situations that because of the way law is structured now where the, where you simply can't pull the plug. And that's by far the most expensive part of life. Oh, right? While you're absolutely
2: you're, and 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 I'm trying to remember what was the lady's name, was it down in Florida that was on life support for so long, you know, and it was such a you know, it was a huge court case. I don't know why it's slipping my mind right now, but, but yeah, you know, I just, I, I've i seen the ins and outs of cancer, I've seen the struggles of it, and I just don't think the government should be able to tell me what I can and can't do with my body if I, and I guess in this case, if we said if I was terminally ill. Well,
3: that's why I was challenging you with it, like, this is the ideal circumstance which you can we can all agree to that but how do you make a law and a regulation to that effect and then go from there when I promote anarchy in a sense I would agree to I mean I think every community would have certain regulations and there's no way it's ever going to allow
2: Right, I think the communities like, would regulate themselves efficiently on terminals
0: And, I, and my thought on this is this is probably, and, and you may or may not have. Yeah, well, I'm sure you're probably more aware of this than we are. Uh, th- th- there is financial incentives, specifically from you know uh, health providers to to keep people alive. Yeah, I mean, they just get oh th- th- those final those final months and years are are just cash cows for for these absolutely right it's
2: probably it's probably the biggest pinnacle of of the cash cow you know that's with all of the medications that people are taking with everything they are to to hang to life to another day for another bill for another charge at the hospital i mean you're absolutely right eric that is healthcare. obviously is expensive to regardless but end of life is very expensive if you know like you say, they're pushing medicines to keep you alive. And, you know, it could completely break for a, a family. I broke my leg right. a couple of years ago. By the time that was done, it was like $84,000. You know, and that's, that's pretty wild for a leg break. So you can about imagine right. what end of life is, is like. Yeah, yeah. I'd hate to easy. see those bills. You know, I personally have not. They're astronomical, yeah. Yeah, I can't even imagine. You know, there's certain pills out there that are you know thousand dollars a day, and you got to take thirty of them a month. Can you imagine?
0: Right, and and that's kind of it was a leading thought or question. I mean, we have there the are corporate interests that are involved. You know, in, in the in the costs and the structure and repealing this type of, I, I think this legal framework. Um, yeah, that you know the, the people. You know, people like yourself or physicians, it'd be it'd be interesting to see if if banding together, some of this could change because I think it's a it it does bankrupt families, and it absolutely and it and it it basically torpedoes fortunes, you know, at at the end of life. Um, So you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, have you seen? Or do you have any thoughts on how to potentially you know this this can be changed? Because it, it it seems like it's it's something that's in place, and you hear you, you hear a conversation from time to time and say, "Well, we'd like to get this you know maybe changed a bit." But I haven't. Yeah, I, I've heard this you conversa- know, conversation it's, it's, my whole adult life, and nothing has really changed too significantly about that. It's I, gotten way more I expensive, don't, in fact.
2: Yeah, I don't see anything changing. You know, it, it's end of life is is just like the whole abortion conversation deal with yeah. with either side. It's it's such a touchy thing that obviously people will always argue about it. So I I don't see end of life changing the laws to to benefiting those that want to to practice you know that that right if they feel that they need to. But you know, I just my personal feeling on it again is why should the government be involved to tell me that I have to try and live as long as I can if I'm sick and I am dying and it's bankrupting my family you know it's taking it's taking money away out of my kids' pockets because I'm trying to pay for my medicines and now they can't go to college because it, all that money went to the hospital you know and that's tough it is it is and I think it's you know,
0: like you said Eddie it's just
2: There's it no way, penalizes you for getting sick, and 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 we don't we don't always have, you know, we have a say in whether we get sick or not. Yeah, do you smoke? Do you not smoke? You know, there are certain factors that factor into it, but illness, it 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 is not prejudice. It doesn't care who you are. Cancer will find you if you are white, if you are black, if you are a man, if you are a woman. It doesn't care, and it should not. You know, like you say, drain a bank account. Take away a future for kids if a family had their money saved for, for these reasons before any health issues came into effect. You know, it, it completely changes their lives. And if, if end of life, the right was there, you know, that guy, that guy could actually make that decision to say, I'm dying. Why would I spend $300,000 to die when I, take the right to choose to end my life and save that money for my kids to go to college. I know it's far out there to think that way, but that's how I look at it.
1: I don't think it is. I think it's very reasonable. Well, and I think life is
2: full of choices
3: and we should all, I find people ask for government to regulate other people to pick the right choices for them. And then, when it comes down to the line when you have to make really true hard choices people aren't even used to making choices sometimes and looking yeah, to I'm, others
2: to tell you what you can and cannot do I agree with you you know I've always been one like I say I don't want to say well yeah I I've always been one a little against the grain if you're going to tell me a reason you know why this can't be done I was always the kid that I would say well watch or why can't it be done and you know I, I it's that way in my personal life you're right, I, there are times where I just feel that regulations are overbearing and overseeing things that are probably slowing down certain things in societies, and that's my own personal feeling on it.
0: I have a question for you on this, Trevor. Have you seen, or, and I, I personally haven't seen or heard uh, this myself, but you have any exposure to people who have said, you know, if I'm gonna get sick or i'm I'm at a point where it's just not tenable, but I can still you know either write it into a will or a directive with family and or friends it's say take me to a place where it is legal, fly me there or you know yeah. give me that situation and and, and 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 then move on from there have you are you aware of anything like that happening before
2: or i'm I'm not. Um, yeah I not either I haven't heard that, but I would tell you one thing that would probably happen. Let's say if Florida, for instance, makes end of life right a right that we as as individuals have, and people start flying down there to end their life, what you will find is probably an overpopulated area of crematoriums and funeral homes right around these you know whether it's at a facility or not because I truly feel that there would be quite a number of people that would possibly choose that right. And as dumb as this sounds, it also balances out a little bit of our overpopulation problem. If somebody is not doing well and they want to go, you know, they go. And that, you know, we, we know population's an issue. Nobody talks about family. it, but it is. And then the family's,
1: so you know, in a much better situation at the end of it.
2: Oh absolutely and well, you know psychologically,
0: even, you know all all phases of, of the family
2: right yeah you know and if if the family's comfortable with it, then why are we the, stopping them you know yeah, I, it would be absolutely terrible to to work your whole life, you know and unfortunately paying taxes everything that you may be against. And to get to end life, and to have to spend it all on your death while you're dying, while the hospital's trying to keep you alive, so they can pump more medicine, so you have to pump more money into their facility, and then your kids don't get the opportunity to succeed for what you've worked so hard for. You know, to me that's just wrong. But that's again, I'm I'm rambling on the same thing. But that's my personal feeling on it.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if if, if sometime in our lifetime. A country, it probably wouldn't be a state within the, you know, within, within the union, but a country would provide that type of, uh, freedom. But I, like, like you said, it would, well, there would be a boom economy.
2: The one thing that I jumped to, and I brought it up a little bit earlier. What if Colorado would do something like that? Or even Texas, you know, Texas kind of does their own thing. Right. I can see Texas putting in an end life right. Well, kind of, uh, I think teg-
3: Japanese culture has kind of had that with the Ku. Yeah. Is that what it is called? Where uh I feel so much shame that they are...
0: It's right, a little bit different, but... Life life. Yeah, it's an, it, it's you an know, interesting thought. It's would- cultural thing.
2: And in- I want you guys to know how ironic this is. I'm picking up like jazz music in my headset mm-hmm. and it actually sounds like funeral home music. If you've ever experienced going into a funeral <laughs> home. And that is, that is one thing that I absolutely cannot stand is that just that dark, sad music But I can hear it in my headset. So it, it feels like I'm right that's how we. Here. That's, our, that's, our that's how we close show. out the show. That's how we kill well, the show. Yeah. I can <laughs> hear it. It sounds like a funeral <laughs> home. You guys <laughs> might end. want to switch your ending song. <laughs> well, it's apropos, Unless it really right? is the <laughs> end. You know, I could tell you 100 funeral director jokes. Yeah. You want one Was funeral there director else joke? you like
0: to say right now? Absolutely. Throw a. Um, throw a uh, all
2: right, really dumb. Why do they put fences around okay. cemeteries? Why is because it? people are dying to get in. And if I had a dollar <laughs> that the government didn't take every time I heard that, I could do something. I hear the same jokes over and over and over, but you know what? <laughs> it goes with being a weirdo and doing a weird job, so I uh, I embrace it. Those of you that have met me, you guys know I'm a fairly engaging guy. I just love people, and um, I'll continue yeah. to march forward and, and help those that call upon my services, and I'll I'll march forward with being the corner when called upon and um, continue continuing on, I guess.
1: Thank you very much. This has been very, very honored.
2: Sorry about that. Go ahead and speak. I was just going to tell you, I was very honored to do it. I was excited when you guys asked when we were out and um, anytime you guys have questions, you could even text them. So you could talk about them on the air. I certainly don't need to come on, but my phone line is always open and enjoyed the conversation. And, and I'd actually be curious to listen to more on your guys views on, you know some of the platform things with uh, with your beliefs. I'd be very curious about it. So let so me know when you do your next door, podcast, so I can listen in.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll do. We'll share some some of that information with you after the show. Um, but this has been uh, Liberty Southwest Podcast number sixty-two, and we really appreciate it, Trevor. It's been been a good time.
2: My yeah, honor, uh, yeah, it was, it was a blast. I just honored to do it, and I think a lot of these things need to be discussed because change never comes if it's not discussed about. So I thank you for the opportunity to let me speak my piece on end of life decisions, and you know I hope it's something that is discussed amongst our country, and and hopefully I in I hope they come to a decision that gives me the right if I'm terminally ill to to have that decision.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think, it's not dis- I think it's not discussed enough in Western culture. Uh, and whereas in Eastern cultures, there is, they're much more prepared for the transition to, after- to the afterlife.
2: Well, and, and you're uh, 100%, and, and you've done your research, but in, in those cultures, the afterlife is such a sacred, and now I'm not saying it's not for us, but I mean really sacred, and, and you're absolutely right. So their end of life, is that's their celebration. I mean, that's that's something they discuss all the time.
0: Absolutely, it's welcome. It's It's it's
2: welcome.
0: Yep, it's not looked at as a uh, bugaboo or or you know something to be scared of. Uh, There's there's more there, and there's this life is to be learned from and applied to the next. And and you know if you, I think it's a healthy way to look at things, and 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 could actually. Relieve some of that tension of holding on to this life. Yes, we were talking about even a little bit earlier, right? So, yep.
2: But I appreciate it, gentlemen. So it, I
0: had fun. Yeah, it was, it was a good time, thank you contributor. And uh, yep. we'll wrap it up. I'm going to throw a wrap jingle here, and, and we'll cut it. Alrighty. So, thanks, everyone. Adios. Adios. Bye.
3: Adios, mofo.